Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. Today's guest is Darren Kirby. In 2018, he won the Kali World title in Hawaii. Darren is the founder of Active Kids, providing free martial arts and art to kids globally. He is a philanthropist who continually improves his performance and coaching skills. Welcome, Darren. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Raphael. How are you? Very good, very good. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I played a lot of sport as a child. I'm in Australia, so it's a different sort of sport. We have our sort of football. Um, it's a very tough game over here. You don't have padding. And um, someone comes in and hits you, they come in and hit you. But it's uh, you, you, you get used to that, but it gives you mental toughness. Um, I gave that away in my mid-30s and took up Wing Chun and studied that for 25 years. During that time, I also did some Kali Screamer, Filipino stick fighting. That gave me a little bit of dimension because Wing Chun's very tight, so to speak, and your footwork's very tight, whereas the Kali's a lot more relaxed. So it was a good turning point, but it grew me a lot. Mm. What, what age would, did you start doing that? Yep, so I started Wing Chun at 35 years of age. I did a little bit of judo at about 12. I had to best explain that. Back in the day, there was a lot of Bruce Lee movies. And I was a young boy, and of course, inspired by that. But in the town I lived in, we um, only had judo. There was no karate or kung fu. So I did judo just for a little while, but um, I still use it sometimes now with my breakfalls. Hmm. Very cool. You're a coach. What type of a coach are you? I did, um, during my course, to give you an example, in Australia, you can't um, run classes unless you have a, an accreditation as a coach. So you have to uh, do a diploma in coaching and sports development. So I did a coaching in that. Um, to get that, you then get your insurance so you can open up a school and run classes. So I did the martial arts in there for a number of years. And during that course, I joined in with a company, um, which was business coaching, and I started coaching all the franchises that we were running. So it actually grew to my martial arts coaching to become a business coach, but similar sort of principles used. And so how long have you been coaching for? Yep, coaching uh, about 18 years now. Hmm. And I study a lot around the coaching. If someone was to say, now, what do you do? I'd say I'm a performance coach, and we can talk a little bit about that later on but it's always to, whether it's martial arts or business or whatever it might be, it's to help people get to where they want to be. So you're basically a sports psychology or... Yep, so I study sports psychology. I study sports psychology through a gentleman called Dr. Alan Goldberg in America. He's absolutely fantastic. And um, he's given me a bigger awareness of when you're working with people um, as to what you're saying and how do you help them from step one to step two to step three, particularly if there's 
something blocking the way, Goldberg helped me a lot with the blockages mm. with those people. And and how did you uh, come about finding Dr. Goldberg? With the coaching I was doing, whether it was in business or in my martial arts, I felt there was something missing. Um, I believe as instructors, sometimes we get caught up in doing what our teacher taught us. And they may be very good at martial arts, but sometimes not really good at the coaching side of it. Okay, and that's that's just how life is sometimes. Whether you're a, a butcher learning apprenticeship, you come under what the person teaches you. So I was looking for something a little bit more. And um, I always believe America's really on the edge with these sorts of things. And I put in martial arts and so forth. And Dr. Goldberg came up and um, I had a chat with him. And um, I've been working with him for just over 12 months now. But he does a lot with the American NFL, the basketball, and also the American Olympic team. So he's pretty cutting edge there. And what would you say is one of the, the biggest takeaways that you've had from Dr. Goldberg? If I, if I run, run through this in a few steps, is that okay? Absolutely. Yep. So any athlete or business or person, let's, let's stick with sport for this matter, first we need to address what they want to achieve. So even if it's martial arts or a gym or something like that, we need to find out first what they want to achieve, then we can help them get there. I see a lot of martial arts schools come in and they talk to someone and they tell them how good they are and they know this and they've got that and we'll make you a black belt and all that. But we need to dig deeper to find in what they want to achieve. And people are motivated by emotions. If we know what their emotions are, we can talk with them on those on those lines to help them achieve that. So first thing is find out what they want to achieve. Make sense? Absolutely. And, and quite often um, it's not what it appears to be. I've had people come to martial arts and say, I want to get a black belt, I want confidence, I want discipline. What I've actually found it is, Maybe they got bashed up with no four and they want to start to build confidence in on that so I can help them towards that instead of it just being the black belt. So the first thing is find out what they want to achieve. The next step possibly in there would be to find out when they're going down that line to achieving that, sometimes they disappear, you know, they, they lose their focus. Sometimes it might be coming to a class and you know someone's not focused. Mm -hmm. So we teach them to be accountable to themselves, to realize when they're not focused and how to bring them back into the moment. Darren, do you find that that's probably one of the biggest problems people have yep. nowadays, that focus of trying to find out what they really want? Yes. Yeah. So um, I'm going to chat on that little thing called your RAS or your reticular activating system. So your RAS is, your RAS is built into your brain. And it goes back to the days when we were amphibians or crocodiles or something like that. And if something walked out in front of a crocodile or an alligator, it would just go bang and kill it and eat it. It wouldn't have any other thoughts about what was going on. It would just put what it's called its RAS and go straight for what it needs to do. So the RAS in the brain, the reticular activating system, filters out our thoughts. So the average brain brings in around about 200,000 thoughts or words a day. If we can focus that on an outcome, then the person or the instructor is only talking around those certain tools needed to get to the outcome. A little bit complicated there, but if you get someone who's coming to a class and their mind's a little bit scattered, we focus them back on their goal and then start using those words to get them back focused for their training. 
Absolutely, like triggers. You you basically triggers. work on on their triggers to yes. bring them back to focus. I love that. We do, and it is the triggers. And I was going to talk on those a little bit later. So I'm really appreciative you brought that up. But what I believe we need to do as coaches is to educate them to be able to bring themselves back and to realise when they've disappeared, which can be a little bit tricky. So. Um, the people I work with, and I'm working with a boxer at the moment, he's only a young boy, and I said, where where do you lose focus? And he goes, I just keep thinking about girls all the time. <laughs> and like, I said, look, that's fine. But when we're in the ring, and if you're having a fight, we can't be focusing on the lady in the third aisle back from whatever it might be. What he does, he goes home and he watches television on, say, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights when he watches television or a movie, and he'll watch a movie, and if there's a young lady that comes on, he starts thinking, oh, I like her hair, or whatever it might be, he has a little band around his wrist. He has to pull it and snap it. And when he snaps it, he has to look into it and go, right, what's this movie about, and what's happening in this scene right now? And what that's doing, it's teaching to bring him back into the now. Make sense? So we're not doing it in the martial arts. We're teaching him outside the martial arts. So when he gets in there, He's practiced the uh, technique and he's actually able to make himself accountable instead of someone else. Because as you know, in, in many aspects, whether you're fighting or practicing, we can look at a bird go past and all of a sudden we use it, lose our concentration. So this is to teach him to come back. Right into focus. I mean, a lot of boxers, yeah. when that bell goes off, they don't even see a person across from them. They see a target. Which is basically, if you're a professional boxer or a fighter, yes. that's what you should be looking at. I mean, Tyson was amazing as a boxer because that's really what he saw. He didn't see a person across from him yep. when he was young. He basically said, I need to go through this person and as fast as possible. And I think that's why he was so successful when he was so young. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. And that's what it was. He, he went out there in the first 30 seconds to intimidate them and frighten them. Didn't matter what happened or who was there, it was that. I was reading a really good book recently from America on baseball, and it was talking about how when you throw the baseball, you don't throw it at the batter. You get the ball, and you just see where the mitt is, and you throw it to the mitt, because that way you're not thinking about the opponent, you see? So it was a similar sort of method what Tyson used there. So the the one there, and you're absolutely correct about boxes, mm -hmm. when that bell goes, you, you, you're in the moment. Unfortunately, before some go into the fight, or you might be at a tournament doing forms or at work and you're starting to think about outcomes, when you're thinking about the outcome, you're not focusing on the now. Make sense? Yes. And when you're thinking on the outcome, all of a sudden you're getting nervous, you're getting anxiety, you put pressure on yourself, so you tighten up. Then you're not relaxed, as I was talking earlier about the Kali, you're not relaxed to do the movement. So when you, you might have a young boxer who's about to go into a fight, he's thinking, oh, have I worked hard enough? We've got to snap him out of that and get him back into that moment of living in the now. But as we talk with a lot of boxers or fighters, if you've done all the hard work and you know you're ready to go, there's no doubt about that. Just perform. Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that, that I agree with you on that is that you, you can't be practicing a minute before no. you get in the ring or you get into a fight or get into a tournament. This should all have been done way ahead of time. Yes. So you're there just to perform yep. and do what you already know. So I agree, totally agree with you on that. Yep. So if you, um, let's say we've got a fighter who's having a fight in three months' time and he's thinking, oh, this, this 
Fox is bigger than me, he's stronger than me, he's fitter than me. He's starting to think about the what-ifs and, and, and these sorts of things. And they're the things we have to drill into them before they go into the fight. And that way they should have the confidence of how they're going to have the fight. So those things shouldn't be an issue. And it's just that drilling. Um, I had a fight a few years ago in Hawaii for Kalia Screamer. And one of the things I focused on was I had a sore upper shoulder, but I could hit lower but not higher. And I practiced a certain technique 70,000 times to be able to hit something like the size of a golf ball. And with a particular stick, I knew I could hit it from anywhere. So when the fight started, I was going in confident. You understand what I'm saying? I was really confident going in there. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, because you were focused. <laughs> and you know, you. I was focused. And you practiced what was needed for you to be successful. Yes. So in that first few seconds, and not cocky, but confident, I've done the hard work. So in that first few seconds, my aim was to hit the opponent's wrist twice with a stick. There's a certain part on the stick about the size of a golf ball that's not covered in padding. I knew if I hit him with that stick, it was probably going to finish the fight. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So the fight started in the first two seconds. I've cracked him on the wrist beautifully. And he kept fighting. <laughs> so, anyway, he came up to me a few days later. He said, I've never been hit so hard. He said, have a look at my wrist. But under the adrenaline, he didn't feel it. Mm. But, but I went into that fight feeling confident because I'd done the hard drills. There's a little thing there. We talk about what's called the hind part of the brain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the hind part of the brain is at the rear of the brain. Up the front part of the brain, we have the front of the brain. The front of the brain is where we think. Now, if we've done all of our drills and worked hard enough, all the memory is in the body, body and the brain, and we don't have to think. We just go and perform. So if there's any doubt, you'll start asking yourself questions. So it's that real preparation before you go into the ring. Then your mind shouldn't drift as much anyway. So if you looked at the mind like that, it's um, the hind or the rear part of the brain where you've done all your hard work and everything. That's like the jigsaw puzzle complete. The front of the brain is the front of the brain is just like the jigsaw pieces. It's got them there, but it's all scattered, and it only starts thinking about things when you haven't worked hard enough. So, with that in mind, how do you deal with a person who's coming to you and their focus is everywhere? I know your goal is to get them to be focused. Yep. And how long would you say you would need to work? It, obviously, everybody's different. But what has been your toughest challenge to date? Yeah, look, look, there's some challenges you just can't you just can't help, you know, and, and sometimes that's what's built into the person. But a lot of them, I'll actually break it down with someone and get down to doing those one percenters and just drilling them and just getting them focusing on that, and then sort of move them through the process from there. So the young box I'm working with at the moment, who's 15, so you can understand, probably a little bit scattered. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of track work with him and I'm actually running with him and we're, we're talking about track work as we go and that's really helping his focus and he's got a fight coming up in seven weeks and we're just doing that every week and working on triggers from there. I, I think sometimes it's that discussion with the person. Um, sometimes it's called a centering question, yeah? Mm -hmm. And a centering question would be, hey, I really noticed you worked out today but you lost your focus a little bit in there. And when we were doing the, the running, we weren't going as hard as you could go. 
how do you think that is going to affect your fighting when you get into the ring? And quite often they'll turn around and say, well, yeah, yeah I, I see what you're saying. And it's actually going to make my mind think that the other person's fitter. So I agree with you, Darren. I've got to work harder on that. So I call it a centering question. When they're scattered and all over the place, I bring a question in that's going to put them back into reality. And it's sometimes it's as simple as that. You haven't been working hard enough in the ring. How do you think that's going to affect you when you have your fight? And when they give you the answer, it normally works through it. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're, you made them think of what is happening. To be, A lot of people are not present yes. at the moment. And so that's why they're scattered, because they're all over. Yes. But the minute they become present, everything becomes clear. It's almost like the heavens open up and, and they can see the light. It's a beautiful thing. I totally agree with you. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So that centering question can work quite well. And, and I get them to give me the answer because once they give me the answer, they're more liable to commit to it than me giving the answer as a coaching situation. What does it mean for you to be a coach? You're helping people. You're realizing what they need and you know how to help them. But what does it mean to you to be a coach? I, look, I, I went over this with someone recently and um, I look back to when I, I was a child. And look, I had a good, happy, healthy life and all that sort of stuff, but there was a lot of moments in my life, and this is a different era to now, where one or two guiding words really could have helped me along instead of spending 20, 30 years trying to find your feet. So what it really means for me, I I really get a pleasure out of seeing somebody's growth, and that's why I I do what I do, because it's just... I just find it totally rewarding. And I've probably focused now the rest of my life just on being a better coach and how do I improve that. Um, By doing that, I lift the people around me, which lifts me as well. And then then we all have a better outcome. As a coach, you still need to be coached. You still need to invest, not only financially, but in yourself. You need to read. You need to go to seminars. You need to talk to people. Who can always bring something new to your yeah. your your foundation? Bring something new to what you're doing, and I don't think anyone, including the top guys out there, know everything. No, and it's important to be able to to reach out and ask for help and and continue to to become great. It's not cheap. No, but you can become great. You can become great at a budget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's important. I mean, look at you. You're you're offering this to everyone, and you don't want anything for it. And that's like I said, that's unheard. And that's you're not just a coach. You're amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. But see, I, I not that I was in a rut, but I was coaching these business people. I was coaching, and I thought I'm not growing. I've done this with all of them too. I need to grow. So I got Goldberg to lift me and push me. You with me? Mm-hmm. Um, I go through Dr. Goldberg. It hurts me. It costs me, yeah? Mm-hmm. But it's grown me because I've spent that money. I make it work. And by lifting and pushing me, I lift and push and stretch everyone around me. That's what I did. So, Tell me about what's going on over there in Australia. So look, I live in Bendigo, which is a rural town in Australia, and it's about two and a half hours from a capital city with a population of about 100,000. Another two hours north of us is a very remote community. There's not no many jobs, there's no many shops or anything like that. 
But the Filipino community has gone there and they're taking up a lot of the jobs working in the piggeries and the farms because it's sort of a hot, desolate part of the country. Probably a little bit too harsh for some Australians, but quite often maybe the Filipino climate. And they've returned, they've turned the town around, but they're not really communicating and coming together as a community. So what we're going up to do, um, commissioned through the government here, we're going up to open up a martial arts school, Filipinos, mm. um, stick fighting. And when I was talking to the government, they said, well, what about uniforms? I said, I don't want uniforms. And they said, well, what about a venue? I said, I don't want a venue. And they sort of questioned. I said, well, if you're in the Philippines, you train outside and it's fun. And you may not have a um, uniforms because they just wear happy, healthy clothes. They have mm-hmm. fun clothes. They don't uniform anything and it probably suits their budget and their what sort of money they might have. Then that doesn't put pressure on people in those communities to have a, have a uniform. So that's what we're doing. And when they're out doing the martial arts in the park and that sort of thing, other people will see them and go, hey, that's a screamer. Let's go over and chat to these people. And that's what we're trying to approve, put together. Make sense? Yes. And we're doing that as a free thing. Once again, it's giving back. And I find in situations like this, sometimes you need the money, but sometimes when you instruct for money, you instruct differently to when you're doing it for free. And in this particular one, we're doing it for the whole of the community, not building a community where money might come into it, but we're doing it for the holistic side of the community to make a sustainability of a, a martial arts program we can produce anywhere. The government wanted to pay you guys for this, and wh- what was your response to that? I don't want any money. Well, I said, look, if I go up there, it's probably going to cost them too much for the program. I've got to travel an hour and a half. I've got to train for an hour and a half and come back for an hour and a half. I'm going to want some good money for that, really. Mm, Make sense? That's big. They're going to pay for my petrol. And I said, look, let's do it as a program. We can both all work on the program. We can put it together, and then we can take it anywhere. Let's just use it as a test like that. And I'm happy to do that. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting stuff. That's really exciting stuff. That's going to bring the community together for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. And see, once again, not that it's about that, but the world champs are coming in. You with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because it just make, piques their interest a little bit more that someone like that is coming to their community. doesn't matter what level that world champion thing is, but it, it helps with that sort of thing. So we don't talk about that much, but if it's going to help what we're doing, then we bring it into the conversation or the marketing. Mm, that's, that's great stuff. So I've actually got a, a model on that, which I'm working with over the next few months. And then what I want to do is put that out to any martial artist anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. yeah? And so he can maybe go to an orphanage or some kids who haven't got money to come along and they might be able to take this program to their local council or chamber of commerce who will fund it for them Then they just run the classes as normal at their dojo, but the local people fund it. Now, that's, that sounds like a, an amazing program, but are you only doing it based on Filipino martial arts? That's for anyone. I've just been, it's just worked for me like that at the start. Okay. It's just worked for me. But I want to give that to, you know, if you've got someone who does judo in the back blocks of Boston, happy for them to run that program. I don't want any money for it. They can just take it and go with it. I'll talk to them and coach them through it. I'll do a group coaching thing if need be, but happy to put that out there. Mm-hmm. And that way I can help everyone more so than me funding it because I can't keep funding it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's unheard of. Yeah. What you're doing for not only worldwide, but for the people, that's unheard of. This is mind boggling to me because 
you know, a lot of people, they'll donate their time, they'll do this, but you want to bring this worldwide where people are getting the communities together. And it's basically for low-income orphanages, people who can't afford it. Because people who can afford it, you know yeah. what? They should pay for it. Yep. And they, they can get the uniforms and they can get everything else. But there are a lot of people out there who can't afford it. And why should they not be able to to have this incredible martial arts or oh. whatever it is that, that you can bring to them? That's incredible. And we've all seen the kid who, I'll, I'll use the term, a snotty-nosed kid who's got the flu and the snot, pardon the French, running out of their nose and they're coughing and all that and the, the hems are too long and they're gee and they're hanging down and they're dirty and mum says, go in there and get some discipline. <laughs> you know, um, we've all seen those kids, but we've also mm-hmm. seen those kids turn around and be some real pillars of our community because of martial arts. They've changed. Absolutely. And, and I've had parents go, can you put some discipline into him? And I go, I can't. They go, well, what do you mean? I go, well, as soon as he goes home, his parents won't discipline him. They go, that's me. And I go, yes. They <laughs> go, you rude thing. And I go, that's the truth. I go, I can take your money, but I'm not going to make him disciplined. Right. Unless it happens at home, so to speak. But over time, we know we can make that happen, don't we? You know? Yeah, it, it takes, you know, it takes a, a triangle. I think it's the parents, the martial arts instructor, or the coach, or whatever coach they're doing, and the school system. Yep. I think the school system has to be included because it's not just about teaching them reading and writing and math and science. It's about developing them as human beings to have compassion. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. But it has to be a triangle. It has to be where three entities are working to build this one child or one person. Yeah, you're correct there. You do something more than most people do. Yes. You, you work with orphanages. Would you mind going and telling us about that? Because when you told me, I was blown away. It's, it's incredible what you're doing. And I'd love for my um, audience to be able to, uh, my listeners to be able to listen and understand that we need to be able in this world to help someone else. Oh. Because it really enriches our own life. The more we help someone else, the, the, the better we feel. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So, look, what happened, um, my partner and I, we were doing the Kalia Screamer. We both had a fight in Hawaii. Um, we are both lucky enough, or maybe not lucky enough, but we worked hard enough. We both won a gold medal. And um, we thought, well, how can we give back? And because the Kalia Screamer came out of the Philippines, we thought, well, how can we open up a martial arts orphanage in, in somewhere and give back to what we've had the fortune to have? So I tracked down a place in Cebu in the Philippines called the Rise Foundation, which is an orphanage for children. We brought in the local martial artist and he teaches the children each week on martial arts. Now, what actually happens here, the thing that really changes this around, I'm very lucky to have that instructor over there. He teaches them martial arts. Now, the part of the world where they come from, probably not the nicest place in the world. It's a little bit unsavory there. And they've probably been put down. They may not have money. They may not have anywhere to live. They may not have any family. This has actually given them a family with the people that they train with. This is a really important one here I want to share with you. It's actually teaching them to work with people. Make sense? Because when you've got a stick coming at you and it's going to hit you in the head, your partner, as we know with all martial arts, has to work with you. So it's taught them to really work with people. That's probably the big takeaway. It's really also taught them to have respect for the instructor and he makes them pick up the mats and put them away. Um, he's had them at tournaments where they have to take water out to people. 
So it's taught them life skills. So the idea with what we do with the orphanage there, and I generally I just pay the instructor. And the money I make from coaching goes to the instructor to lift, to lift what we do over there. So the idea is with these children, they're picking up life skills and getting what we call emotional intelligence, understanding the world to see that when you do put in hard work, you can get results and you get confidence and be proud of what you're doing. So the skills they're learning through the martial arts over there is to teach them to work with people, get a job and have a good life. We went over there to um, meet them a few years ago and um, they gave us some meal vouchers. We had a, a, a dinner there. So they gave us these 500 vouchers to go down in what they call the slums. And I'd, I hadn't seen anything like this. I thought I'd seen a lot of things, but I hadn't. And um, we handed out these vouchers. I won't say what we saw in the slums, but it wasn't pretty tardy. 500 kids came back to have dinner with us that night. And a bit of our idea was they come to have it with the world champs. Okay. We don't have to brag about the world champs. We just did what we did. But that's why we did it. The inspiration for those kids to come and have a dinner with the world champs um, should have seen the looks on their faces. It was amazing. So, so that's what we've done. Um, we are opening up other places around the world. I'm starting a thing next year, which will be Kids Activity, and I'm putting that out to everywhere around the world. And I'm, I'm trying to do it so each town will self-fund the program because naturally I just can't keep putting money in. And um, I don't want donations, but I'm looking for ideas on how we can self-fund it through each town where a martial artist might go to the local council or the commerce. So, look, I've got this program and um, be interested in doing it with a certain sector here. How could we get funding for that? So that's what I'm working on. In Australia here, I'm in the state of Victoria and um, we've just been commissioned by the state government here to open up the same kids' activity in a remote community here in Victoria. So it'll be a little town of about 1,200, but it's the martial arts is to bring the community together. So we know the model's working, and now we're putting it out to the world to say thank you for what you've, you've given to us for martial arts. hope that wasn't a too long of an answer, but I wanted to get it all out, so thank you. I'm just blown away by what you guys are doing and the fact that you're bringing your community together. Martial arts may, may be the tool, but what you're really doing is you're empowering them yes. through character develop, development having them do things, bring water and all these different things where you, you're strengthening the community. And a lot of people don't realize that martial arts, when taught properly, is that. It does strengthen the community. It makes our kids and the future so much brighter if everyone had a good code of ethics. And that's what's also missing sometimes in martial arts. There are some martial artists out there who are not teaching any code, code of ethics. All they're doing is, you know, punching and kicking and let's go, you know, beat someone up. Yep. Having the proper code of ethics where you have integrity and you have a good foundation where it's, it's based on, on love and, and giving, that's huge what you guys have done. And like I said, it just blows me away. And I know that I need to connect you with some people. Yep. That can probably either help. I told you I have a friend of mine who's got schools in a lot of different places in the world. He may be able to do something for you guys or help you guys or even get you an instructor. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to talk on that. The hardest thing I find, okay, I, I've got to do the money, but we'll work around that. Okay, I will work around that at some stage. 
The next hardest step is if I go into somewhere in, in India or South Africa or whatever it might be, to get someone on the ground who's actually going to run the program for me properly because the money can go in there pretty quick and disappear, you see. So that's that's probably the hardest challenge. So we have a pretty uh, strict syllabus for them to get through before the donations come through. So, But look, it's been rewarding to us and we were at the Cebu International about 20 months ago and these kids were actually fighting and there's people from all over the world there and they got through to the, the, the kids from the Rise Foundation got through to the final for the team Okay, and I was actually judging. I kept looking around between rounds and they're going back, hey, hey, the fight's over here. And I go, I'm watching these guys. So they actually came second. They got beaten and they'd come over and said, look, we're sorry we let you down today. I said, you didn't let me down. You're a winner. You're here participating. And the funny thing was they would have actually won it. But in Filipino stick fighting, if someone takes your stick off you or disarms you, you lose a point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the kids lost his stick twice. And that happens, mm-hmm. you know, and if it hadn't been for that, they would have won. But it was actually a, a joy to see them there. And uh, I was fighting them afterwards, sparring them, and I was laughing because they were all over me. And these kids just walk around now with their stick and just practice all the time. It's given them a whole new life. Terrific. You've empowered them. I mean, that's huge. Yes. You know, anytime you can empower not only a kid, but an adult, a teen, anyone, when you can empower someone, and let them know that they have value. That's that's just yeah. And 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 yourself and people listening, we've we've all done that at some stage, whether it's martial arts or business. And I think one of the real things with coaching, and I've got Dan here on one of my notes, whether we're working with people in a work situation or boxing or martial arts or whatever it may, I, I believe it's sometimes empowering them with questions as well. And um, I have one like a rule I go by I wanted to share with you today. And, and sometimes we teach someone and we know they're doing it wrong. And I've seen instructors go, no, no, wrong, 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 wrong. You, you haven't got it. You haven't got it. What are they telling the person? You haven't got it. And we don't know where that message actually sits in their brain. So I always use the one. I go, uh, Raphael, you're, you're doing really well with that. Your footwork's good. Your technique's good. I just want to add one more thing to it and you'll have it. I just want you to put your hand in this direction or move a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. And you can see the growth in them straight away by doing it that way. And, and it's something I've come across. And I find when I use that in my coaching technique, um, people just lift. And then they go, I've got it. Instead of saying, I'm getting it. I'm not there yet. And, and they're negative things that stop the body, body from learning. But if you use an open question like that and go, you know, you do this and you've got it. And they go, yep, I've got it. I'm, I'm firing now. And you can see the change in them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny what you're saying because I totally agree with you. When you take someone and you keep telling them no, 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 that's all they hear. And now it may be a correction, but what they're hearing is, yes. hey, I'm not good enough. And then next time there's another correction, they keep hearing, I'm not good enough. And if we don't treat people correctly or know how to treat them correctly, they're, they're coming into a situation where we're supposed to be nurturing them, helping them, but we're actually, by by no, it, it could just be an educational thing. By no means is anybody trying to hurt them. They're just saying, no, you're not doing it right. And instead of saying, like you said, I like what you're doing. Yes. Let's try adding this to it. Yeah. That is just, that's just adding to their technique and saying, hmm. I am good, and or I'm not good yet, but I'll get it. Yeah. 
once I accomplish this other thing, I'll get it. So that's why I, I I'm smiling because it's so true. Because a lot of people, yeah, everywhere you know, a lot of times don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, and they have that negativity. And when, as martial artists or as coaches, whether it's a football coach, soccer coach, baseball coach, doesn't matter what kind of coach, mm. if we don't understand how to help them, then we're just we're, we're adding more of the negativity yep. into their lives when we should be uplifting them. Yeah. So yeah, that's I appreciate you saying that because I feel the same way. A lot of times, it's 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 misguided in in a way, and it's not intentional on a lot of instructors or coaches. It's just maybe they didn't use the correct wording. And when you talked about the syllabus that people have to go through in order to run one of your programs, no. I'm sure it's not just martial arts. Yes. I am sure, and because I'm listening to everything you're saying, it has to be on human connection, building characters, and also I'm sure that your, your syllabus is also based on psychology. Yeah, I go into a little bit on the psychology of the awareness around the words they're using and what impact or bad impact they can have. So um, ideally, if you tell someone something bad in anything in life, That'll probably sit in there with them for about a minute and a half before their brain actually clicks back in. And and, and that can be a survival mechanism, yeah? So people will, will do whatever they can to do survival. So if they hear something bad, the mind will actually shut down and go into survival. And while you're talking to them after that, they won't hear anything. It takes about two minutes for the body to come back down. So, But if we're giving them positive affirmations, they're not feeling threatened, so they take it in and improve. And I think that a good coach needs to read the body language of their athlete that they're dealing with or their student. Yes. And because body language is also critical when maybe someone is not doing it correctly or maybe they're just not focused and their body language will tell a lot. And if their body language is not receptive, you're right. All they're going to hear is Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so. It's important. <laughs> it's important for us to realize that mm -hmm. it's not only our words; it's even our own body language, the way we express our words. Um, because the other day, I was teaching a class to the kids, and I said to them, "Hey guys, I'm being hard on you." And do you know why I'm being hard on you? They looked at me, and I said, "Because I want you to be successful. I want you to be the best in the world." And I said, now, I could not be hard on you, and you guys can relax a little bit. Who wants me to be tough on them and hard on them? And they all raised their hand. Not at first. And I said, who? And they, they didn't put their hands up. And I said, okay. I said, that's fine. We're going to take it a little easier. And then one of the kids said, no, Sifu, I want to I be the best. So once he said that, the other kids realized, huh. To be the best, I better put some hard work into it. So all the other kids and I said, okay, no problem. You want to be the best. Is anybody else? Boom, all their hands went up. And it's that mental state that we have to take them to to realize that they can do it. Yes. So what I really love what you've done there because your emotional intelligence is sitting back and saying, I'm the Sifu, but it's not about me. It's about you. 
how can I grow you? And and you've done that by looking at them. Whereas I see a lot of people get too caught up in about SIFU or the teacher out the front and I'll show you this technique. So that's where I reckon you've really clicked in there. Educating the coach to get external knowledge to make them a better coach. And I think once you even start thinking about that, things will come to you and your, your people's classes improve and so does their coaching. It was funny, Goldberg gave me a saying once and you'll understand this better than me in America. He said, a coach is always the U-Haul. And I'm trying to think, what's a U-Haul? Then I realized it's you drag behind, mm-hmm. you got to pick up everything, and then you got to help them deliver it to where they need to go. It's a it's a truck. Yeah. <laughs> so a U-Haul is it's a moving truck. So yes, <laughs> you, you, you're a U-Haul. Yeah. You take everything and you take it to the next location. Yes. Totally get it. Yeah, yeah, so that's it. So whatever's going on there, you got to grab it in your truck and you got to help get them to there. And I thought that was a great analogy. So, yeah, it was, it was terrific. The, just talking what you were saying there um, about reading body language and all of that sort of stuff, I use a, a rule of thumb here. It's a global one. It's called VAC. It's called Visual, Audio and Kinesthetic. And I was trying to assess what a person is and how they what their learning modality is. Now, if you're visual, you'll talk and you'll say, yes, Sifu, I see what you're saying. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're audio, you go, I, yep, I hear you. I hear you. Mm-hmm. And if you're kinesthetic, it's about feel or touch. And they might say, look, can you do it again? I just want to get a feel for it. And I always try and it's not exactly that cutthroat with it. You know, it, it is a little bit more in-depth than that. But quite often you will pick up with people um, with their visual, audio, and kinesthetic. And if they are a visual person, you go, look, I'm going to show you this. You can watch it. Tell me what you see. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And they go, ah, oh, he's talking on the same level as me. And it, they learn quicker. Mm-hmm. I've had I've had kinesthetic people who learn by feel. I go, come over here. We'll, do, we'll, we'll touch on this and you'll get a feel for it. And I don't even talk to them. I just get them to run through it and they go, I've got it. I feel it. And they go, I feel better now. So, yeah, I think that's an important one. If you ever want to Google that or do some research on it, it's um, modalities of learning under what's called VAC, visual, audio, and kinesthetic. It's it's funny because that's how I teach. I do, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've taught that, yeah, absolutely. One, one of the things is before I, I do a technique, I'll I'll show the technique and I'll do it. So let's say I'm doing a throw because I, I do a lot of throws as well. If I'm doing a throw or when I'm doing a technique or I'm doing a joint lock or anything like that, I'll ask for a volunteer. and initially. Because they all know they're going to be feeling something, I won't get one. I said, okay, I get, I'm going to pick you. And I just grab somebody and I do a technique to them. And they're like, oh, my God, now I know what you're talking about. I feel it. And all of a sudden, someone else goes, uh, can you do that to me? And then the other one goes, can you do that to me too? <laughs> so all of a sudden, yes. they yes. heard me explain the technique. They saw me do the technique. And now they need to feel the technique. Because a lot of times Beautiful. people don't yeah. grasp something. It's just the same way we tell a child, don't touch that, it's hot. And the child's like, yeah, okay. And then they get burned. And then what happens is they're like, okay, now I understand. So it's that level of understanding yep. that, that I teach that way all the time. And, and it's important Today I was teaching some kids and I said, I'm going to show you first 
and they were five years old. And I said, I'm going to show you first. This is a whole new technique you've never done. And I'm going to show you and, and point you in the direction and make sure your hands are correct. And then I'm going to have you, I had their parents work with them so that the parents can actually help them at home as well. And then I said, this is what it does, how you do it. And then I had the kids, okay, try it. And they were all over the place. And then when I put targets for them to be able to hit them, they understood it. So visually they saw it, they heard me explain it, and then they actually had to feel it. So I try to teach that way all the time because it's, it brings a better understanding for everyone. Yes, yes, it does. It and and actually, I I have a similar matrix around that that I use as well, and I believe it works. Believe it works quite well. So, yeah, I have, well now you can test me to see if I explain back properly. So, um, how did I go out of ten? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you're great. So, you know, one of the the problems that we're facing now is um, we had a lockdown here for five months, and I you I know it, it was all over the world. So I immediately, when we were locked down, I went immediately into virtual training. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the only two things that we were able to do was visual and auditory. So what I had to do was demonstrate the technique. I had to use someone and so that people can see what I talked about. So they, even though I, they saw me perform it, they saw me talk about it. They still didn't get it until I said, okay, I'm going to borrow someone and I'm going to do the technique. And then they're like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. So we did lose the feel, the touch, the kinesthetic during this whole virtual thing. But now, you know, they, you have to find a different way of teaching someone, especially when you're not there in person. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think. Whatever that way is, as coaches, at least if we're aware and we're not just going out and saying, I'm an instructor, I'm going to tell you what to do. I think by us being more aware, we lift the level of what we're doing for a start. And I normally suggest to all coaches five minutes a week on something to grow your coaching, whether it's listening to a podcast or flipping through in a book or something, just one little thing a week. What are you doing to lift the level of that? Because I think you'll take that to your next lesson and that, of course, lifts the level of the class and everything, doesn't it? It does. It does. Actually, I, I read every single day. I, uh, if I'm yep. not learning, <laughs> my day is no good. <laughs> every day I have to be learning. I have to be – every day I wake up and I'm like, ooh, what can I get today? What, what do I have to do and how can I grow? So believe it or not, LinkedIn – is amazing. It used to be they used to uh, used to be Lynda.com, but they had a lot of different programs, and you can learn all different kinds of things. But now I think uh, LinkedIn bought them out, and on LinkedIn Learning, you can learn so much stuff. It is terrific. It's incredible. It, it is, and I love I love learning. So you know, I was like, sign me up. <laughs> and you know, it's. It also depends on who's who's teaching, but so far I've had great instructors on LinkedIn, and of course it's all virtual and so forth. Yep. But yep. it's uh, as long as you're willing and open to learn on a daily basis, I think that you can bring more to your client. Yeah, you do you, to whoever you're coaching, and I, I I never go into a class or run a class where I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to do the class. I'm always prepared, and I set my rash, if I want to call it that, my thought on. 
what am I going to achieve out of this lesson and how am I going to help impart that to the students to lift them up as well? Hey, good to talk today. We've been over a few things, um, correct with positive affirmations, um, external knowledge, triggers, um, finding their RAS and finding their why and, and coaching them to the why. Have you got any other, other questions for me before we wind things up? Well, yeah. What, what would you say is your biggest fear as a coach or what you've seen in the industry as a coach? Um, and it's probably why I study coaching so much. I see people who come through and they're not aware of the words that they're utilizing with people. And the words are so important. I call it their language. Um, I worked with a gentleman over here. He was a very good martial artist, had all the tools, had all the belts, but his people skills, to wrap it up in a word, his people skills weren't there. Mm. And I spent a lot of time with him. He actually got him to read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that started to turn him around. And um, his life's actually changed. It's, he's still got a lot of work to do. But he's improved a heck of a lot by that. But I think it's really that people skills. If you put yourself aside from its martial arts or work or whatever it is, work on your people skills to coach the people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If, you, if you're being humble about it, there's a saying from Mandela, we are judged in equal with the people who we work with and their successes. Okay? That's not the actual wording, but it's pretty close. So we're judged in by the way how we rise the people. So if you can rise the people around you, they'll rise you. So it's all thinking about how can I improve them and not me. So your coaching is all about them. It's all about them and not me. So your coaching is all about them. Absolutely. It's all about them. Absolutely. It's 100% about the person you're trying to help. One of the things I do all the time is I have the kids teach me back the move I taught them. I spotlight them and I'll have them maybe do a warm-up, and then, you know, I'll have the other kids clap for them so they get a praise. Yep. So that, that, that's what I'd put out. In, 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 we look at some words there. When you're going into a class or whatever you're going to teach or do, how am I going to help that person's day? And it could be, okay, what would you like to cover today? And they go, oh, I want to go and do blocking. All right, well, how can you actually take it to a higher level when you're talking with them? It might be teach it to them and then say, right, now you teach it to me. What's one of the things that you would recommend to someone who is looking to become a coach? What advice would you give them? I look, I really think you have to study. Um, pick up a book, pick up a podcast, and, and, and study something to get, get started on that. Mm -hmm. So this year, I have a theme with my coaching, yeah? And the theme is to be, un to be comfortable at being uncomfortable. So how am I going to stretch myself as a coach this year? And I just think if you're going into the coaching, have a theme maybe each year on what standard you want to take to your students. So year one, it might be I want to really connect or communicate as a coach. And then I think if you start thinking about that, you'll start improving instead of just going out and coaching. So I think it's good to, to framework or model or put a chassis around your coaching as to what you're going to bring to those students instead of just talking to them. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and I, I totally agree with you. Definitely studying. Um, this way you you can't study the day before you're going to coach someone on the subject. You need to have it deep in your, your conscience and subconscious. And also, yeah. I think that as a coach, 
we have to see how we can bring the other person up, as you said, to raise them up or rise them up. Yeah. What I'll do is I get this going. If you're happy for me, I'll send it out to you and, and, and run your eye over it and then help me with any thoughts, okay? My pleasure. I would love to do that. Thank you. Darren, this has, this has been very informative and we can talk for hours, you and I. Yeah. So tell me, how can someone reach out to you? How can someone get in touch with you? Would you mind sharing that with us? And look, I'm, I'm happy to chat to anyone. Okay, absolutely, yes. Uh, 20 minutes, if someone wants to chat for 20 minutes, I'm happy to give you a, what I call a game plan session or a round for 20 minutes. I'm happy to do that with anyone, anytime. And I don't want money, happy to do it for free, okay? That is amazing. I mean, whoever does not take you up on that offer, 20 minutes of just talking to you is, is incredible. You, you're doing some amazing work, and, and I want to thank you for that, and thank you for the time you've spent today. We had a little bit of a struggle ourselves trying to connect because you, we're 15 hours apart, you and I. You're <laughs> yeah. in Australia and different days. And different days, yeah. And now, I've got, and now I've gone into daylight saving, and I'm in a different state. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, you're in Australia, and I'm in New York. Yeah. So in, in the United States and New York. So we somehow figured it out. And if we can figure it out yep. and make it work, I think anybody can make it work and reach out to you. Yep. No, look, thank you. And I, I, I hope I've added some value there today. I'm sure we have. But if anyone wants to have a chat, happy to talk anytime, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. And, um, you know, if I can give you something to lift you up, happy to, happy to have a chat about that. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much again for today. And what time is it over there? Uh, it's four o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. <laughs> Not a Tuesday, it's a Wednesday. <laughs> ah, on a Wednesday. And I'm here at 11.43 Tuesday p.m. Yeah. So, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. This was fun. Hey, good to talk. Absolutely. And stay healthy and be safe. Hey, thank you for your time. Um, you go to sleep, and uh, I'm going to go and do a class now in the park, and we'll catch up soon. Enjoyed your time. Excellent. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Coaching Call podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.